0: We ran into a former chief of the National Institute of Mental Health at the Bipolar Conference last June and asked him what his favorite treatment was for bipolar disorder. Find out why Robert Post leans on three medications that start with the letter L. Welcome to the Carlisle Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003.
1: I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlate Psychiatry Report.
0: And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. One sign that you're at a good psych conference is the sight of a man who's prowling the poster sessions with a wry smile, notebook in hand, looking like a gray-haired Robert De Niro. It's not Robert De Niro, though. It's Robert Post, a former chief of NIMH who helped identify the mood-stabilizing effects of anticonvulsants and the kindling theory of bipolar disorder. For three decades, Dr. Post has been broadcasting research updates at BipolarNews.org, and his most recent articles there summarize this year's Society for Biological Psychiatry meeting and the Bipolar Conference, where we met up with him. We asked Dr. Post what his go-to treatment is for bipolar disorder, and he answered, the three L's, lithium, lamotrigine, and lorazidone. Nuff said.
1: We covered lithium last week. And we've covered lamotrigine a lot in these podcasts. And there is evidence that lithium and lamotrigine work better together than either alone. But we haven't always had the luxury of prescribing that third L, lerizodone, brand name Latuda, because every time we've reached for it, the insurers would require us to try the patient on a generic antipsychotic like quetiapine or olanzapine fluoxetine combination, or even worse, Sometimes they'd insist on an option like risperidone that doesn't
0: even have any
1: evidence to treat bipolar depression.
0: But this year, lorazodone finally went generic, and the price has fallen fast. You can find it for $10 to $20 a month at goodrx.com. And that's good bipolar news for patients. Because before this, the only generic antipsychotics for bipolar depression were weighed down with sedation and metabolic side effects. Quetiapine, otherwise known as Seroquel, and Olanzapine-Fluoxetine combination, otherwise known as Symbiax. There are only five antipsychotics with FDA approval in bipolar depression, and they are the only five that are known to work. They are in chronological order of approval. Olanzapine-Fluoxetine combo, Symbiax, Quetiapine, Seroquel, Lorazodone, Latuda, Cariprazine, Vraylar; lumiteperone, Caplyta. That's it and there's no reason to think the others work. Many have tried and failed in the prominent pole of the illness. Depression occupies some 40 to 60% of the lifespan in bipolar disorder. Each of these antipsychotics has about a 1 in 4 chance of working, except the weaker of the bunch, cariprazine, which has a 1 in 11 chance. If you think your odds are better than that, they probably are, because the placebo and the natural cause of the illness just about double those chances.
1: But backing up a bit, the odds that antipsychotics are going to work in depression are against them from the start. Think about it. We're treating depression with meds that block dopamine, the source of motivation and pleasure at the D3 receptor, which is why depression is a side effect with the first-generation antipsychotics. When these meds block D2, they cause symptoms that might mimic depression slowing down cognition and motor function, and stiffening the facial muscles so the patient has trouble connecting socially. And when they block dopamine D3 in the nucleus accumbens, they're blocking the source of pleasure and reward. This is why haloperidol has the highest risk of all antimanic meds of causing a depression after the mania. We don't talk about neurotransmitters much on this podcast because it rarely informs practice. But here it does. These antipsychotics have one thing in common. They all block dopamine. But that common mechanism has nothing to do with how they treat depression. It's that little something extra they do. And that extra mechanism is different for each of these. So even though we don't know exactly how they treat depression, we know that each one does so in its own way, which means you're more likely to get a response by switching within the class than you are by switching, say, from one SSRI to another. The early trials of antipsychotics in bipolar depression only serve to illustrate how hard it is for these medications to lift the lows. Olanzapine, didn't work well on its own in those early trials. It needed the antidepressant fluoxetine to boost it up, and it's only with this antidepressant that it gained approval. Quetiapine invited similar skepticism. This antipsychotic is converted to an active metabolite, norquetiapine, that resembles an SNRI antidepressant, raising suspicions that it too needed antidepressant assistance to work in bipolar depression.
0: That's one reason Lorazidone was such a breakthrough. It was the first antipsychotic to treat depression without any help from antidepressants or antidepressant-like molecules. How it accomplished this is not clear, but here are some possibilities. Serotonin antagonism at the 5-HT7 site increases in brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, Normalizing circadian rhythms that are involved in the pathophysiology of bipolar, stress and irregular sleep disrupt the clock genes that regulate circadian rhythms. Lorazidone and lithium are the only medications we know of that normalize the expression of these genes. Let's look more at how lorazodone differs from the pack, but first a preview of the CME quiz for this episode. If you think you got this, move on to the full two-question quiz through the link in the show notes. 1. Which antipsychotic is not FDA-approved in bipolar depression? A. Quetiapine, B. Limiterperone. C. Aripiprazole, D. Cariprazine.
1: Since the approval of Lurasidone, we've seen only two other antipsychotics make it to FDA-approval in bipolar depression emphasizing again that this is not a class effect. They are cariprazine, whose putative antidepressant mechanism is partial agonism at the dopamine D3 receptor that regulates pleasure and reward, and lumeteperone, the most recent, caplita, which possibly works through serotonin 5-HT2A antagonism. Another way that the mechanism influences their use is in their dosing. Most of these antipsychotics hit their antidepressant targets in the lower dose range. As the dose goes up, dopamine blockade kicks in more, and that's where you see a risk of causing depression. That is why some people think aripiprazole failed in bipolar depression in its studies because it was dosed up to 30 milligrams a day. At the conference, we met a few psychiatrists who reported success with lower doses of aripiprazole in bipolar depression, including Dr. Tom Kelly, who published a case series of 211 patients with bipolar depression on two to five milligrams of aripiprazole a day. But if you go too high with aripiprazole, the patient is likely to report anxiety—that is, akathisia. Or they may come in and say that people think they look depressed and are no fun to be around. What that means is the EPS is stiffening their facial muscles. Or they may feel emotionally flat, like nothing inspires them. In other words, there's too much dopamine blockade.
0: Lurasidone is unique here. It's the only antipsychotic we know of where the antidepressant effects gets bigger as the dose goes up from 20 milligrams to 120 milligrams a day. Most patients settle in the middle. The average dose was 40 to 60 milligrams in adult trials and 33 milligrams a day in children and adolescents. Lorazidone is FDA approved in bipolar depression down to age 10. In our experience, some patients do get better as the dose goes up, but you still have to watch out for the opposite. Lorazodone does block dopamine, and in a 2023 meta-analysis, it had the strongest dose-dependent association with akathisia of any antipsychotic. The rate of akathisia rose like a straight line as the dose went higher. Food and drug interactions may also explain why higher doses are necessary in some patients. Lorazodone has to be taken with a full meal, at least 350 calories. Otherwise, a good chunk of it, 30-70% to of it, isn't absorbed. But once it gets absorbed, lorazidone is metabolized by the CYP3A4 enzyme and only by this enzyme. So any disruption here will make the blood levels go haywire. Here's what that means. If you give lorazepam with modafinil or carbamazepine or a St. John's wort or higher doses of dopiramate or oxcarbazepine, the lorazepam levels will drop a lot, two to fourfold, because these are all CYP3A4 inducers. If you give lorazidone with most SSRIs, all except citalopram and esotalopram, or your patient drinks grapefruit juice with it, the levels will rise a lot, two to fourfold, as these are all CYP3A4 inhibitors. People who are poor or rapid metabolizers of 3A4 will have similar problems with this med. And all of that brings us to a useful pair. If your patient is doing well on lorizodone and then suddenly gets depressed, ask them if they stopped taking it with food or if they started a 3A4 inhibitor like modafinil. If they suddenly get anxious, maybe they started drinking grapefruit for breakfast and the higher levels of the medication are causing akathisia.
1: Let's get back to the dosing issue and talk about lorizodone in mania. We mentioned that most antipsychotics stop working in depression as they reach the anti-manic doses. Most, but not lorizodone. And lorizodone does not have an anti-manic dose. This med has never been studied in mania. It did work in unipolar depression with mixed features, so it might calm some manic symptoms. But whether it treats mania or not is anyone's guess. And I wouldn't get into that kind of guesswork with your patient's care. Don't use lorizodone monotherapy for acute mania, which also means that lorizodone monotherapy is probably not a good idea for anyone with bipolar 1 disorder. For bipolar 2, possibly so. But lorizodone has no known benefits in the maintenance preventative phase of bipolar. Only one controlled trial tested it for episode prevention. That trial lasted six months, and it failed to find a significant difference.
0: Lorazidone is not any more effective than the other options in bipolar depression, but it is better tolerated than the other generics, with very low rates of weight gain and metabolic problems. At least, that's what the industry-sponsored studies show, most but not all of which are short-term. A closer look shows some metabolic effects in the higher dose ranges, above 40 milligrams a day. But overall, we think lorazepam's metabolic risks are about the same as its brand-only competitors in bipolar depression, cariprazine and lumatepirone. Where lorazepam does cause problems is with nausea, akathisia and sometimes sedation. And these are all side effects that can cause patients to give up on it early. So you want to start low. 20 milligrams a day or cut that in half. And go slow. And here's a shout out to our European listeners. In Europe, lorazepam is labeled based on the actual amount of medication in the tablet. While in the US, they make it far more complicated and use the weight of the med and the binding agent, the hydrochloride salt. So in the US, 20 milligrams equals European 18.5 milligrams. And a US 120 milligrams equals a European 111 milligrams.
1: If lorizodone does have an efficacy advantage, it is in cognition. We've seen lots of antipsychotics make this claim, including zaprazodone, which lorizodone is a structural analog of, but so far lorizodone is the only one to prove it in bipolar disorder. That proof comes from two studies. One is a randomized placebo-controlled trial where they took people who had recovered from bipolar episodes but were still having cognitive problems. Half got lorizodone and half got placebo, and the ones on the med did better on objective testing. The other study is from this year, and it compared cognitive outcomes as the primary outcome in teens who had been randomized to either quetiapine or lorizodone for bipolar depression. Both of the meds worked similar for depression But those on lorizodone had greater improvements on objective tests of cognition. They used time tests of attention, memory, and accuracy. Kind of like when you have to decode symbols quickly.
0: The bottom line. Among the antipsychotics, lorizodone is often first line for bipolar depression. It has a low risk of metabolic side effects. Possible cognitive benefits and its cost is no longer an issue. But we're not fully sold. No antipsychotic has it all. And if your patient needs help for mania, anxiety or sleep, quetiapine is a better choice. And now for the study of the day. Antipsychotic Use and Mortality in Persons with Alcohol-Related Dementia or Wernicke-Korsakoff Syndrome, a nationwide registered study in Finland, by Anina Palm and colleagues.
1: When it comes to treating dementia, we are in the dark, kind of in the early industrial age at best. We have no meds that improve cognition. At best, they slow decline a little. 80% of people with dementia develop neuropsychiatric symptoms, causing problems for themselves and their families. We're talking about agitation, anxiety, apathy, depression, and psychotic symptoms. And yet, the main pharmacologic treatment for agitation and psychosis, the antipsychotics, all carry a black box warning about increased risk of death and cerebrovascular events in dementia. As if that is not bad enough, most antipsychotics do not even work for agitation and psychosis when put to the test in randomized controlled trials of dementia. Last May, Brexpiprazole, Rexulti, broke through that barrier, becoming the first antipsychotic to gain FDA approval for agitation and dementia. But that gain was based on its efficacy. The studies were not powered to detect mortality, and so Brexpiprazole retains the FDA warning about death and ischemic events. Today's study is thus a welcome entry into this dire landscape. The authors focused in on safety, not efficacy, of antipsychotics in alcohol-related dementias. These tend to have an earlier onset than Alzheimer's dementia, and there are two types of alcohol-related dementias. First is Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. This is where people can't form new memories due to vitamin B1 deficiency. If you have patients who drink too much, tell them to take a multivitamin or a folate and B-complex to prevent this and other alcohol-related vitamin deficiencies. The second is alcohol-related dementia. Besides lowering vitamins that are necessary for brain health, alcohol also has direct toxic effects on the brain, damaging cholinergic neurons and causing cerebral shrinkage. Some of that might be reversible if the person stops drinking. In this study, the authors looked at 3,500 patients with alcohol-related dementias of both types over a 17-year period in Finland. About a third of them had the Wernicke-Korsakoff's type. They compared outcomes for those who took an antipsychotic with those who did not. Just under half of them filled at least one antipsychotic prescription. And the bottom line is the opposite of what we'd expect from that FDA warning. Those who filled an antipsychotic live longer than those who did not. Clearly, this is not a randomized trial here, but we're going to guess that most poor prognostic indicators would fall on the side of those who required antipsychotics, giving us greater faith That this class of medications is safer in this type of dementia. There are many types of dementia and the risk of antipsychotics probably does differ among them. We already know that those risks are highest with Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's dementia. Those with alcohol related dementias might have a safer course with antipsychotic medications.
0: Get daily research updates by following Dr. Aiken's daily psych feed on social media. You'll find it on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the New Threads app. Just search for Chris Aiken, MD.
1: Join us next time, where we'll ask the big questions in bipolar disorder. Like, who should we avoid Depakote in? Who should we blame when patients don't take their medications? And which comes first, symptom remission or functioning?
0: Friends see CME for this episode from the link in the show notes. And get $30 off your first year subscription to the full journal with the promo code PODCAST. The Carlab Report is one of the few CME publications that depends entirely on subscribers. And thank you for helping us stay free of commercial support.